It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everybody. we got a great one for you today here on this Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. Uh, a big day for the mailman. It's the mailman's birthday, August 12th. You know, massive day. Arguably the most important day of the year, if I'm being honest. You know what I mean? A lot of people uh, think of January 1st, December 31st, uh, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, those are good days. Those are good days. Those are those are maybe even great days but truly elite days august 12th you know what i mean i mean that's that's the 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 peak of days you know historically birthday wise you know what i mean uh pulling up a, a list here cuz i was kind of curious on uh, you know what's happened on august 12th you know obviously i know it's a very important day you know it's the prez's birthday you know what i mean remember remember when 2k used to have the prez uh, in those super shitty career modes that fucking sucked, that uh, Spike Lee ruined. Uh, that that was something. That was something. Um, in 1898, the Hawaiian flag is lowered from the Iolani Palace on August 12th. That's that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, 1977, the Sri Lanka riots happened. So okay, well, okay. So I mean, you know, you take the good and the bad. Obviously, that's that's not good. Um, but a significant day. Oh, 2018, 39 civilians. Di- okay, well, all right. Well, it's not all. It's not all good on August 12th. Uh, oh, 1964, South Africa is banned from the Olympic Games due to country's racist policy. Well, shit. Okay. Well, I thought there would be more positive stuff when I pulled up the list. Uh, oh, 1944, Nazi German troops and the week-long Wola massacre. Well, shit, I was trying to come on here and say that August 12th was a super awesome day because it's my birthday, but Wikipedia is just telling me that a bunch of negative shit happened on August 12th, so that kind of that kind of sucks. Um, let's go to the birthdays. Let's try to get more positive. Let's go to the birthdays. I didn't... I'm a, I'm a one-take Charlie, so I don't redo shows, so I was, I was thinking it was going to be like, oh, this was a liberation day on August 12th. No, apparently a lot of negative shit happens on August 12th, so that's... that sucks. Um, Christy Mathewson, the, the old-timey baseball player, he was born in 1880, so I share a birthday with, well, I mean, that guy's dead, but, you know, I share a birthday with him. Maybe I am him, if you believe reincarnation. Um, let's see what else, Dale Bumpers? That's a cool name, he, he has a birthday today. Uh, he's probably dead, though, because he was born in 19, yep, he died in 2016. All right, well, you know, I mean, these, these are some old-time all-time guys. Let's get more recent. Let's get more recent here. Uh, Jim Beaver, whoever that is, he, he's got a birthday today as well. Um, Sir Mix-a-Lot. There we go. Sir Mix-a-Lot. I didn't realize that he was a fellow uh, August 12th uh, birthday kind of guy. Um, Casey Affleck. Okay, so not even the good Affleck, but we got an Affleck. Plaxico Burris. There we go. One of my favorite football players of all time. Uh, you know, he's got some cool stories to tell, like you know, getting shot in the thigh at a at a nightclub with a gun. That's that's interesting. Ah, uh, this copy's really good. Uh, Haley Wickenheiser. 
I know that name. Don't really know what she's famous for other than playing hockey, but, you know, that's cool. Oh, of course. There we go. Finally some fucking positive, you know, talking about all these people who fucking died and negative shit on August 12th. Uh, Tyson Fury was born today, so happy birthday to Tyson Fury. He turns 32 years old. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some there's some positive. Kara Delevingne, I'm probably butchering that, but she also has a birthday today. Julio Arias, there we go. To tie it to the sports world, he has a birthday today. Um, like he said, God blessed him with one... Oh, uh, no, what did he say? God blessed him with one good arm. And then he kind of blew out that arm. I don't even know if he plays baseball anymore, to be honest. Um, but, you know, August 12th uh, kind of took a turn for, for the uh, the darker side of, of things, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, significant day. It's my birthday. You know what I mean? So that's that's cool. I don't, I'm not really one to celebrate birthdays, though. Kind of low-key. Figured I'd do the show today. And we're getting the studio built Um later today so potentially by tomorrow's show we'll have a nice new studio i mean it's a studio cover but it'll be nice made out of steel and uh stuff like that shout out to doug ely for helping me do that with his um construction expertise um so that that that's interesting um yeah fucking yeah real real low-key birthday i've uh was awake at midnight like I always am, and I was in a car driving back after covering um, the elections last night for uh, uh, an entity that I can't say, or I probably could say, but I'm not going to say. But uh, yeah, that was cool, I guess, driving home and having the clock hit midnight, and you're just in a car after covering a super fucking boring election. But you know what I mean? It was cool. I saw my work in some newspapers, so that's obviously not credited to me, but you know, that's fine. That's what I, that's what I go for. But uh, enough rambling on here. Enough enough negativity from all the all the shit I've been saying. I wish it listed more positive. St- you know what? We're going we're going back to August twelfth. We're finding a positive thing. I don't want to end on all this all this negative stuff here. There there have at some point on an August twelfth there had to have been something cool. Okay, there we go. Nineteen ninety Sue. They found Sue. The largest and most complete Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton to date was discovered in South Dakota um, 30 years ago. So there we go. That yeah, that's a positive thing that happened on August 12th. So um, you know, not a not a whole lot of stuff. I blame Wikipedia. They, they they skew to the negative on on this list here. I mean, if I was running this list, you know, I I, I would uh, I'd make it a little more positive here. Oh, there we go. 1323, the, the Treaty of Notberg between Sweden and the Novgorod Republic is signed. So, okay, you know, it's not it's not all negative. Uh, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Columbus in 1492, when he sailed the ocean blue, he arrived in the Canary Islands. So, you know what I mean? That was on August 12th. So, big historical, big historical shit happening here um, on August 12th. Um, I am very quickly running out of steam on this fucking bit because uh, it did not go how I expected. But uh, we got some good stuff to talk to, uh, to talk about today. Excuse me. Um, obviously, during uh, yesterday's show, we had the news break that uh, Big Ten was canceling the fall football season. So we'll, we'll talk about the college football season. Who's canceled? Who's in? What does this mean? What are my expectations for the the upcoming season if it even happens? 
So, I mean, that should kind of tell you my <laughs> my initial thoughts on it. Um, so, I'll, we'll, we'll also have the preview show for UFC 252. That'll be tomorrow's show. That'll be Thursday morning's show. Um, but I will talk about the Mount Rushmore of MMA today. Now, I know I've done a full show on it before, so I'm just going to rehash it for those who haven't heard it. But I'm going to give my Mount Rushmore because it's very relevant with the marquee matchup on, you know, being the trilogy fight this Saturday. You know, there's some ramifications for that fight that might alter the Mount Rushmore. So uh, I'd like to talk about that because I see so many people getting the Mount Rushmore wrong. Uh, I'm not going to say who I think they put in the Mount Rushmore that's wrong until I get to that segment. Um, but, but that'll be interesting. We'll also talk about some UFC roster moves. There's been some big moves and potentially some bigger moves that could happen. You know, maybe Michael Chandler comes to the UFC. Corey Anderson just signed with Bellator. So, you know, we'll kind of talk about some of these moves, uh, some moves breaking today even. So we'll talk about that um, in the third segment of the show. And then we'll end um, with uh, just kind of a quick my thoughts. Not really a review, but just kind of my thoughts on uh, UFC 4. Um, I do have ES, uh, EA Access, excuse me. And uh, I, I played it for the, the 10 hours, and I got some thoughts on it. So... Uh, I figured that's that's timely as it uh, is set to release uh, on the 14th. Uh, I don't know if it's a midnight release or or anything like that, but it's supposed to be on the 14th, um, so that'll be interesting. But um, obviously, we'll start off here uh, with college football. So, uh, like I said, uh, the Big Ten canceled their fall college football season um, yesterday, uh, just pretty much 24 hours ago. It was probably around uh, one. 1230 or, or one. Um, it was it was Kevin Warren who actually was, I believe he was the COO of the Vikings for a long time and he just got hired um, as the commissioner of, of the Big Ten. Um, so that's unfortunate. Uh, the Pac-12 uh, postponed the fall college football season uh, pretty, pretty quickly after uh, the Big Ten did it. Um, as far as I know right now, the SEC and the Big 12 are going to be going forward with uh, the fall college football season. Uh, and this just doesn't make sense to me at a, at a base level. So I understand each conferences are different, and I know that Nebraska was talking some shit where they were saying if if the Big Ten canceled the, the football season, that they would just fucking move to a different division, which I don't know how that works. I assume there's, like, paperwork, and I assume there's a lot of paperwork that goes into, you know, Nebraska being in the Big Ten. So uh, I'm not really sure how that would work for Nebraska. And first of all, who gives a shit about Nebraska football? They fucking suck. But, um, you know, that's that's interesting. Um, so let's let's say everything goes to plan right now let's say the big 10 plays college football in the spring season and they play it successfully there's no stoppages um, and they complete the season and let's say the sec plays in the fall and they they everything goes smooth how the fuck does that work for for naming a national champion how the fuck does that work for a rose bowl or i guess rose Bowl, i guess pac 12 and and the big 10 both are going to play in the spring but how does that work for how does that work for bowl games? Like, how the fuck... You know what I mean? I don't think... How are we going to name a national champ? So, does the SEC play their games in the fall and the Big Ten plays their games in the spring? And then at the end of the spring season, the, you know, Alabama or whoever just comes back and and 
you know, months later after their season ends, do they come back and play for the national championship? Or do they just go ahead with the national championship on the regular time schedule and just say, well, fuck the Big Ten. They didn't want to play in the fall, so we're going to play it the schedule like normal. So we might have a national championship between two SEC teams. Or are we still doing the college football playoff this season? I mean, these are a lot of legitimate questions that I haven't really seen anybody ask, nor have I really seen the answer to. You know what I mean? And I, I kind of respe- respect the um, the, sen- uh, the 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 sentiment of, well, you see it a lot in baseball where teams teams can be shut down and they can be shut down for a couple weeks if there is an outbreak. So we just take it day by day. We just take it day by day. Any day there's baseball is a good day. And we just hope that, you know, we're taking it day by day. Uh, and, and I respect that. But at the end of the day, there has to be there has to be a champion. So how, how are we doing that? You know, and, and, then it's, and then it's tough because, I mean, I totally understand we're in the middle of a pandemic. So sports comes last. I, I totally get that. I, I understand. But within the paradigm of sports, like, there could be a three-loss SEC team because if you're only playing in conference, like holy shit, like that—that's that, such a tough schedule. You know what I mean? So there, there's going to be a, a three-loss team in the SEC that's going to be way better than you know a one-loss team in the Pac-12 because you know we're going to have like Oregon or something. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna play a bunch of fucking cupcakes because the Pac-12 sucks. And you know what I mean? Then there's going to be a lot of hype around them. I mean, we even we even see this within within the the limits of a regular season. You know what I mean? We saw it last year with Utah. Uh, everybody thought Utah was really good until they got smoked by Oregon. So I, I couldn't even imagine how this stuff is going to work. But presumably that's the end goal. Um, I, I, I just I don't like. I'm not saying I hope SEC the SEC cancels their fall football season and moves it to the spring, um, because if there's a way we can do it in the fall, I really hope that we can just do it. But I don't like how these different conferences are disorganized. I'd prefer something from the top down. I'd prefer something, unfortunately, now that I start think about it, I'd prefer something top down from Mark Emmert, even though that guy's a fucking clown. But it's 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 so weird. And the kind of the the thing looming over the head of the Big Ten is, and, and and this is true for the fall season. This is true for the SEC. But just because we move it back to spring doesn't mean that this problem is going to go away. You know what I mean? I'm not a fucking doctor, so I'm not going to sit here and talk about you know X or Y. But you know, you you hear a lot of people, a lot of professionals saying, well we might have a second surge of the corona during the fall season because that's just kind of when people get the flu anyway you know what i mean so if if we're going to start the college football season in january we're going to start it in a time where a lot of people generally get sick anyway and you know with whatever they generally get sick with the flu the neurovirus or whatever that fucking sucked i got that a couple of years ago and that was probably the sickest i've been ever that sucked. It only lasted 36 hours, but it was fucking brutal. Absolutely brutal. Just, I was passing out from dehydration. That that sucked. So, like, 
there's no guarantee if we push the college football season back that we're even going to have it. And, you know, I try to stay positive um, with everything, but I would say, I, I would just say we don't have a fall, we, we, we don't have a college football season this year. Whether it's fall or spring, I just don't see how we can do it. I, I can see how the UFC does it because there's 12 fights, 24 fighters. Let's just say there's 50 fighters and coaches. That's manageable. We can we can do that. That makes sense. But college football is not going to be played in a bubble. I think in order for you to do anything these days, you're probably going to have to do it in a bubble. I just don't really see how it's... I mean, that, look at Major League Baseball. They're not doing a bubble. Uh, you know, and, and so we've seen teams test positive. Look at the NHL. The NHL is doing a bubble. How many positive tests has the NHL had o- over the last two weeks? Like fucking zero or something. You know what I mean? Because that was a big news story that came out uh, yesterday. The NHL has had no new tests because everybody's in one, well, two spots, you know, uh, Edmonton and Toronto. But, you know, everybody's enclosed in the bubble. Look at the NBA. Nobody's tested positive as far as I know. Or if there has, it's been like, you know, one or two people. But everybody who's in the NBA bubble, they're fine. So if we're, even just look at the Big Ten, and that's probably the most relevant thing for my listeners because, you know, you're probably from Minnesota. So let's even just, screw college football. Let's even just, let's extrapolate the Big Ten for college football. Let's only look at the Big Ten here. Okay, so what? We have like 13 or 14 teams or something. I don't even know anymore now that we added like Rutgers and Nebraska and, you know, a bunch of dog shit teams. Um, You know, so we have like 14 teams and we're, 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 we're still doing home and away games. So it's not a bubble. You can't have, well, the Gophers are in their own bubble and Ohio State's in their own bubble, but they're going to travel to play each other. Well, then that's not a bubble. That's not a bubble. A bubble means you don't you don't move. Theor- I mean, theoretically, you could have a, a moving bubble, I guess, but you're just, there's just so many different factors. Like that's why that's why Major League Baseball is not a bubble when they're letting Byron Buxton drive from Minnesota to Chicago. That's not a that's not a bubble because you know he can try to do his best and maybe he doesn't catch anything. He, that's certainly possible, and he didn't. But you know. He's driving to Chicago. He steps out of his car. He has to fill up for gas. Something happens, and then he brings that, you know, to to um, U.S. Cellular or whatever the fuck they call Chicago's stadium these days. You know what I mean? That's not a bubble. So, and, and with that, baseball, we're talking about like, I mean, I, I don't really so like. Well, I guess it's different now because we have expanded rosters, but with college football, Jesus, we're talking about. 90 players, 20 coaches. I mean, we also need, like, grounds grounds crew and stuff like this, and we need, like, janitors at facilities. So we could be talking about, like, 200-plus people just just for the Gophers. 200-plus people, and I'm just spitballing numbers. I don't fucking have anything in front of me. But, you know, we're talking about a lot of people who are essential for the Gophers to function. At a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, screw P- screw PR. You can do that remotely. You can do PR remotely. You can do graphic design remotely. You can control the Twitter account remotely. There's a lot of stuff you can do remotely. Coaches have to be in person. Players have to be in person. Grounds crew has to be in person. People to keep the fucking lights on. 
you know, at the facilities have to be in person. And then we have, you know, I'm going to sound like an idiot because I don't know how many teams are in the Big Ten. Certainly not 10, but I, I believe it's 14. But, you know, we're going to have over a dozen teams with, you know, 200 plus people that are essential to their, their you know, day-to-day or week-to-week operations. So that's just not, that's not going to work. It, it, it would work if we could have one bubble, but try try doing that. I don't think the I don't think the Big Ten could do that even if they wanted. You know what I mean? Say, well, we're gonna have these college kids who are unpaid, even though they are paid by bag men, and even though they get free scholarships. So, you know, they are they are compensated. But we're gonna take these people who we don't technically pay any money to and quarantine them for ten weeks in a bubble. You know, while they play all these different teams, it just wouldn't fly. So. You know, in a sense, college football is kind of screwed to begin with because you can't even do that anyway, um, you know, just, just feasibly. But uh, th- this is this is not going to go well because I'm not one of these people who demeans college players or, or, or college people, you know what I mean? I'm not, oh, everyone in college is a fucking idiot. I was an idiot back when I was, when I was 19 we can't trust these college kids. No, you you were the idiot back when you were 19. I'm not saying there aren't idiots in college. Certainly there are. But I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, everybody in college is a fucking idiot. No, there's a lot of smart, smart mature people. But the, the, the thing is, when we're even just talking about a college football roster, 80 players could do the right thing. And, and, and you know, 80, 80 players probably will do the right thing and, and be responsible and, and, and stuff like this, but it only takes one or two players to be shitheads and, you know, go out and, and you know, party and, and swap fluids and, and, you know, not wear a mask in public or I don't fucking know. I'm not trying to get under people's nerves or anything or do anything political, but, you know, just disregard health stuff and then they bring it back and we practice and the right guards, a uh, fucking idiot. And you know, now the entire offensive line tests positive and now we can't play because we don't have an offensive line. So again, I, I'm not underestimating how smart and mature the vast majority of, of college players are, but we all know there's idiots in every single group, certainly. So it, it's just tough, man. If we were talking about a college baseball team, then maybe, cause you know, we're talking about, I mean, for every player you add to a roster, it just gets exponentially more difficult. You know what I mean? So if we're dealing with a 30-man roster, okay, I mean, I, there's probably a way we could do this. We still might get some positive tests for, for individual teams, but I, I just don't see how it happens. And then we're also talking about, let's say, let's say every team except Wisconsin does this successfully because let's pick on Wisconsin here because, you know, screw the Badgers. Um, So let's say every, let's say the Gophers are perfectly fine. They do everything correctly. There's no positive tests. Ohio State does the same thing. Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana, all these teams do everything perfectly to a T. But Wisconsin is just really bad at it. They're really bad. And there's an outbreak for the Badgers. And... A 65-year-old obese, which is not crazy to think, you know, let's say an offensive line coach, a 65-year-old obese offensive line coach catches the coronavirus and he dies. Do you think the Big Ten is going to continue playing games after a coach dies, or do you think they're going to shut it down? 
Whether or not they should shut it down because somebody dies or they shouldn't is not necessarily for me to say. I'll let you make up your own mind on that. You know, how much, I mean, life is full of risks. Obviously, we don't want people to die. But do, do you think PR-wise, the Big Ten would continue or not continue? They'd shut it down in a fucking heartbeat. Now, we're not just talking about the Big Ten. Now we're talking about the Pac-12. And, and we might talk. We might be talking about spring. We might be talking about fall. But there's X amount of conferences. They might play, you know, at different times. But this is a real possibility for any time in, in the near future. I don't think this is going to go away once 20, 2021 hits, you know, the, the calendars. I don't think just because we flip the pages on the calendar that this, this problem is going to go away. So it becomes difficult. And then, you know, maybe some people could argue, well, the coach was old. He's lived a long life. I don't don't buy this, but I'm just saying, you know, maybe you could rationalize an old obese coach dying. But what about a player who dies? If a player dies, for sure they're going to shut it down. Do you think they're going to continue playing if a player dies? Now, obviously, I understand the coronavirus is a lot. Statistically, it's a lot worse for older people. Um, so younger people pretty much have nothing to worry about other than spreading it. I mean, younger people are going to be fine, but what we've noticed with the coronavirus is that if you have underlying health issues, even if you're young, it can, it can, it's possible that bad shit could happen. So we, listen, we already have two position groups who have underlying health issues off the bat because they're morbidly obese. You know what I mean? They might be athletes, they might be fit, uh, you know, they might be super strong. But if you, if you are six foot five and three hundred and twenty pounds, you're morbidly obese. That's no matter if that's muscle or fat. That's still weight that's on your heart. That's still weight that's on your lungs. So already we can already identify just to, due to the size of these people a potential health risk. Certainly, a doctor would say you're obese. Now again. You're an athlete, so you probably have good cardio and and things like this, but you're st- you're still morbidly obese. But then let's also consider the fact: what if you don't know you have an underlying health condition? If it's underlying, I, I guess by nature you don't really know. So what if what if we have a quarterback for a team and he doesn't know that he has a heart condition just because maybe they've never discovered it in a, in a physical or never just, you know, it's never been a problem, but it's there. He has, uh, shoot, I'm not a fucking doctor. You know, I, I don't know. He has some issue with his heart. Okay. Well, this looks like a completely healthy guy. He's an athlete. He's fit. He's a college quarterback. You know what I mean? He would pass the eye test, but Oh, actually it turns out you know, he, he does have an underlying health condition with his heart, and then he gets it and he fucking dies. You know, so this is a possibility at any point. I'm not, I'm just saying this is something to consider. I'm not saying any type of way about it, but, you know, this is a, this is a real possibility. So I don't know. It just becomes tough. It's an unenviable position for college sports, certainly college football, but I, I would just say, due to a litany of factors, I, I we might start a college football season. I just quite frankly don't see how we end a college football season. Uh, so with that, I guess we'll wrap up our, our college football talk here. Uh, we'll, we'll transition into uh, pr- pretty much a UFC 252 talker. 
So, like I said before, we've done this on the show, having the MMA Mount Rushmore. And it's becoming relevant on Saturday because, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll spoil it unless you've already tuned in before, but Daniel Cormier is on my Mount Rushmore, my all-time Mount Rushmore. And if he wins, clearly he solidifies his place on the Mount Rushmore. Now, if he loses, there is a potential that he gets removed from my top four. Now... My top four might be a little controversial. I don't think how any I, I don't understand how anybody could argue against my Mount Rushmore. I see so many people foolishly uh, make Mount Rushmores that the, the the people they put on there don't make sense. They're they're just people who you quote unquote have to put on there because people say you have to. I look at who my Mount Rushmore is not not the most influential, not the best of their era. Straight up, the best of all time. The the Mount Rushmore. Who who were the greatest mixed martial arts fighters of all time? So I'll tell you who's not a top four mixed martial artist of all time. You couldn't you couldn't argue this. Now these are these people I'm gonna name are very influential. They're very good fighters in their own right. They are not a top four mixed martial artist of all time. I don't care what anybody says. A big one I always see is Hoist Gracie. There's no fucking way Hoist Gracie is a top four mixed martial art, mixed martial artist of all time. Is he top four influential? Sure, of course. But skill-wise, skill-wise, winning-wise, credential-wise, is is he a top four mixed martial artist of all time? Is he a is he a better overall fighter than a guy like John Jones? No fucking way. Absolutely no fucking way. You are smoking copious amounts of crystal meth if you think that Hoist Gracie is a top four greatest fighter of all time. Now, he is one of the greatest fighters of all time. He is he, He's a legend. He's great. He's awesome. But I... So there's hundreds of really great mixed martial artists. And it's going to make people mad, but I have... It's a Mount Rushmore. There only can be four. I have four slots. So you have to be the best of the best of the best to get on there. Is Hoist Gracie a top four guy? Dude, no way. Absolutely no way. This guy, no. What has he done? Has he he ever been a a UFC champion? I don't think so. He's won some super fight tournaments. He beat, he was a pioneer. He was very important for the development of mixed martial arts. No doubt. Nobody could argue that. This guy, if you wanted to say Hoist Gracie was the, the most influential mixed martial artist of all time, you wouldn't get an argument from me. But, dude, he beat Kimo Leopoldo, Keith Hackney, Dan Severn. Some of these are good fighters, but, you know, these are these are pioneer guys. These are guys that would never translate to today's MMA, you know what I mean, where, where people are training since they were fucking kids, you know what I mean? These are old-school OG guys who have to be respected for what they did. But, dude, no, absolutely no way. You beat Ken Shamrock, you know what I mean, the the... the, the the legacy just in no way matches up to being in the top four. Another one is Ronda Rousey. Absolutely no fucking way should Ronda Rousey be included in any Mount Rushmore unless it's a women's mixed martial art Mount Rushmore. Then, okay, fair enough. But an all-time uh, Mount Rushmore? Dude, no way. She she also was an early pioneer in women's mixed martial arts in the UFC. Dude, she just didn't face that good of people. She faced some good opponents. Dude, she just did not face the level that an Amanda Nunes had to face 
and that, I'm just talking about women. Now you want to talk about who had the tougher schedule, John Jones or Ronda Rousey, Fedor or Ronda Rousey, Crow Cop or Ronda Rousey. Dude, it's not even close. There's There might be thousands of fighters who have had harder... Well, I don't want to get too crazy. There's hundreds of fighters who have had tougher schedules than Ronda Rousey. Okay, you beat Liz Carmouche. Is Liz Carmouche a tough fighter? Of course. Is she one of the best? No. Misha Tate. So, that's solid. That's probably one of her, her better victories. That might be her best victory. Sarah McMahon. Is Sarah McMahon going to re- be remembered in mixed martial arts? Not really. Not really. That's not that... I'm being I'm being tough here, so when, when, I'm I'm probably sounding really negative on Ronda Rousey, but I'm I'm going to be tough when I analyze these people's career because I'm analyzing it right now, as we speak through the lens of is this person the greatest of all time? So I'm grading on a very tough curve, you know what I mean? But you have to when you're picking the top four of all time. If I was just grading regularly, I'd say yeah, Sarah McMahon, really tough, silver medalist in the Olympics. You know what I mean? That was a solid win. But you guys got to understand, I'm just saying this at the at the preface of the conversation here. I'm grading on a really tough curve. Uh, you know, Katzengano, was she ever champ in the UFC? Nope. Was Alexis Davis champ in the UFC? Nope. Is she that good? Not when we're talking about the greatest of all time legacy. Betch Kohea, you know, is, is that a super awesome win? Not really. You know what I mean? What has she done in the UFC? And then you got knocked out by the new breed, Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes. So the the moment you fought really, really top-level fighters, you lost. So Ronda Rousey, Hoist Gracie, absolutely not. There's no way those guys guys and gals are, are top four. Another one that I see, Fedor Emelianenko. Is he, does he deserve to be on the MMA Mount Rushmore for the greatest of all time? No, definitely not. Um... Is is he one of the best of all time? Yeah, he's a legend, of course. Dude, he faced a lot of fluff. He had some great wins, no doubt. Don't get me wrong. Again, I'm grading on a tough curve. But, oh, he was undefeated for 10 years. Yeah, you know how he went undefeated for 10 years? He fought a lot of fluff in between. He fought, you know, for every for every win over Mirko Krokop, he had a win over Zulo Zinho. So that's how he he did that. If I'm not grading on the tough curve, yeah, that's an impressive stretch. That's really impressive to do, especially in the heavyweight division where one punch can change anything. Wow, he had some he had some good wins. Tim Sylvia, Andre Arlovsky, Coleman, even though he was a little past his prime. You know, Mark Hunt a little before his prime. Um, you know what I mean? But I'm I'm grading tough because I gotta pick four. Fedor, absolutely not in my top four. Now, to tie this back to 252, I'll get to my actual top four here, and I don't see how anybody could argue this top four except for number four. Number four is kind of my own personal flair on there. Now, a lot of people might agree with it. If you have a different number four, I'm not necessarily going to argue with you depending on who you picked, but the number one, the greatest fighter of all time, without a doubt, is John Jones. Not even up for debate, it's John Jones. You have to ask yourself two things. This is the this is rock solid rationale for John Jones being the greatest of all time. Who has had the toughest schedule of all time in mixed martial arts? Without a doubt, it's been John Jones. You couldn't convince me otherwise. Pick any other fighter in any other fighter in the history of the UFC. They've never had a tougher schedule than John Jones. 
And then you also have to say, has John Jones ever lost a fight? He's never lost a fight. So if A and B are true, if John Jones has had the toughest schedule of all time and he's never lost, therefore he's the greatest fighter of all time. There's no arguing around that. You could throw in PEDs, I guess, to try to murky the waters, but you, you can't take away from what he's done. And uh, he's the greatest of all time. I mean, beat DC twice, who's on my Mount Rushmore. So he beat he beat a Mount Rushmore fighter twice. Gustafson, Sonnen, Belfort was a former champ, former champ Evans, Machida, Jackson, Shogun, Bader's now the double, uh, Bader's now the, the, the double champ over in Bellator. The, the greatest legacy, greatest, uh, you know, strength of schedule of all time. Number two of all time. So, I'll, you know, on, on the Mount Rushmore. I, I suppose when you're on the Mount Rushmore, you don't necessarily do one, two, three, and four. You're just on the Mount Rushmore. But I'll throw you guys a bone and tell you the order. George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre. Technically, the three-time UFC welterweight champion. One of them was interim. Uh, interim. Um... UFC middleweight champion, so he's got the, uh, you know, very, very um, illustrious double champ status. 26-2 um, is a pretty fucking gaudy record. That's very impressive. Uh, I think he had nine title defenses, which is top three all time in the UFC. You know, wins over Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, you know, some of, some of the... the, the New new breed guys in his generation, obviously a, a generation or two um, before where we are currently. You know, like a guy like Koscheck or something, uh, Jake Shields, um, and and he's not undefeated. He has two losses, but he's undefeated with hurdles. So like I like I've said, he does have two losses to Matt Sarah and Matt Hughes. Well, one one loss to Sarah, one loss to Hughes, but in the rematch he avenged those losses. So that doesn't take away from the L on your record, but when it comes to the the hurdle of getting over Matt Sarah, you failed the first time, but you eventually got over it. So when it comes to figuring out the puzzle for each fighter, eventually, in two cases, he got over it. So he's undefeated with challenges. Uh, Number three of all time, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's on the Mount Rushmore. Yes, he has 10 losses. That doesn't look good. In my mind, he never should have. He should have retired a, a, a while ago, but he's still he's still competitive. Not that that matters at th- at this highest of levels. Um, but it's kind of like BJ Penn. Yeah, Anderson's on quite the losing streak, but does his losing streak take away from how dominant he was in two thousand nine? Not really, you know what I mean? It's it's a part of your legacy that you've lost all these fights at the end of your career, but does it detract from how dominant and how scary you were in your prime? Not really, because we're talking about 2015 versus 2011, you know what I mean? So same with BJ Penn. Does BJ Penn's insane record-breaking losing streak that he's currently on that's spanned nearly a decade take away from his performance at the top? No, it doesn't take away from his peaks. It's a part of, when you talk about BJ Penn, you have to talk about the losing streak, but it doesn't stop. That's irrelevant to what BJ Penn did in 2005. So that's how I justify Silva being on here. You know, his his title reign, I think it was 9 or 10 title defenses. They weren't, they weren't 
they weren't always the greatest performances. You know what I mean? He like his Damian Maya performance was pretty buns. You know what I mean? That wasn't super good. Uh, you know he he did get dominated by Chael P for four and a half rounds. Uh, you know, but came through with the the um, arm bar in the fifth round. But you know, for every one of those, you know, he's got a uh, uh, you know a, a knockout of a Patrick Cote or you know a signature knockout of Forrest Griffin. So you know, just a win over uh, Dan Henderson, which I forgot about. But you know, this guy was super dominant in the UFC, one of the scariest fighters, probably the scariest title reign of all time. So we have to have Anderson Silva in there, and then my number four, which is why this is a relevant talker for 252 is DC. I think Daniel Cormier is on the Mount Rushmore, the all-time Mount Rushmore of greatest mixed martial artists. Now, if he loses, if he loses to Stipe, because it's so tough to be in the top four, because we're talking about the best of the best of the best, a loss to Stipe, potentially, I'm not saying, I'd have to reconsider, but it might move him off the Mount Rushmore. Now, if he beats Stipe, then it further solidifies his spot on the Mount Rushmore. But this is a guy who's been a double champ. If he wins on Saturday, he's the two-time UFC heavyweight champion. He's the first fighter in UFC history to defend both belts, which, you know, I think there's only been seven, excuse me, seven or eight fighters in the UFC who have who have won belts in two different divisions. Now, he did it simultaneously, which is impressive. I don't know how many simultaneous two divisions, well, Connor... And Amanda, I think there's only ever been three who have been at the same time champs in two divisions because Cejudo vacated, right? Couture was a champ in two divisions, but he never at the same time. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, obviously GSP wasn't champs, uh, you know, welterweight and middleweight champ at the same time. So that's very, very impressive. 22-2 22-2 and two with one no contest. Um, and you look at his losses. A loss to Stipe, who right now is tied for the greatest heavyweight of all time in the UFC. In the UFC with DC, obviously, that's why we're having the trilogy to decide who's the best in the UFC. Um, and then two losses, obviously one of them technically a no contest, to John Jones, who's the greatest of all time. So you look at his losses, and I don't know where Stipe fits in in the greatest of all time conversation, but certainly in the top 15. So a top 15 loss to Stipe and, and the number one loss to John Jones. And then you, so then you start to look at his own legacy. I mean, Jesus, he was, you know, the, the strike force grant heavyweight grand prix champion, uh, beat Frank Mir, former champ, Roy Nelson, kind of a folk legend, obviously not a champ. Um, Patrick Cummins, you know what I mean? Whatever. That's not one of the... I, if I was listing his top five wins, I wouldn't list Patrick Cummins. But Dan Henderson, he was the welterweight champ over in Pride. Uh, I believe he was both the light heavyweight and middleweight champ over in Strike Force. So an absolute legend in Henderson. He beat one of the scariest punchers of all time uh, in Anthony Rumble Johnson twice. He beat Gustafson, who's you know going to be a UFC Hall of Famer at some point beat Anderson Silva, uh, beat Volkan when he was on his his rise, obviously beat Stipe, beat Derek Lewis, who's, who now, after his performance over Olenek, 
uh, is now now has the most knockouts in UFC history. So for me, I think DC, even though he's had some losses, they're very, very, very elite level losses. And uh, he's got a very, very solid legacy. I mean, he ragdolls people. A lot of these fights are not even close, not even competitive. You know what I mean? Derek Lewis. It's not enough just to say it's a second round submission on Derek Lewis. No, no, no. It was a second round mauling. Wasn't not even for one second in that fight did you think Derek Lewis was gonna win? He was getting drowned. He drowned him. Now there were some close fights, like obviously the Alexander Gustafson. That was a fight of the year candidate in my mind. That was a very, very close competitive fight. But a lot of these fights are just not even close. You know what I mean? Just utter domination for for DC. So. You know he's that he's in that number four seat. He's he's the cleanup hitter for the Mount Rushmore lineup here. I mean, he he's it, it's even more maybe not more impressive that he has losses to John Jones because obviously his legacy would be better if he beat John Jones. But it's impressive how you know this guy can can you know not to get too personal, but obviously you know had the kid that uh, was a stillborn or whatever they call it. You know what I mean? And then losing to John Jones, you're the fucking man. And then you lose to John Jones, and you know there's a whole lot of you know skullduggery and tomfoolery with John Jones. But DC always come back, comes back. He always you know rises after after he has these very very top high level defeats in the biggest moments. You know what I mean? And and to become the heavyweight champ, you know that's a legacy separate from John Jones. You you'll never mention John unless John Jones goes up and becomes the heavyweight champ. You know what I mean? That's completely separate from John Jones. His light heavyweight shit will always be tied to to Johnny Bones, but you know, going up there and doing something for himself, you know, in in the toughest division, you know, that's impressive. So, again, John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, Daniel Cormier, don't come at me with Ronda Rousey or Hoist Gracie. That's disgusting. If you want to have a separate Mount, that's not in the spirit of Mount Rushmore. If you have a Mount Rushmore for women's mixed martial arts. Go fucking bananas. Put Ronda Rousey in there. Most influential of all time, put Hoist Gracie in there. But <laughs> when we're when we're at the big boy table here, when we're talking about the best, the greatest of all time, no, 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 no. Don't come at me with Fedor and stuff like this. All very, 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 very solid fighters. Top four fighters, get the fuck out of here. Um, so moving on, we'll talk a little uh, here for our final segment on... Um, some UFC talkers. They take a sip of coffee here. Um, so there were some moves made by the UFC, some roster moves. I just kind of wanted to quickly touch on, and then obviously I'll give my review uh, of UFC 4. Um, so arguably the biggest, actually I'd say without a doubt, the biggest news um, from the last week uh, came a few days ago. Uh, pertaining to the UFC's roster when they released Corey Anderson from the roster. So I got to make a note of that. I got to remove him from the light heavyweight rankings uh, come Saturday, um, which is going to be a pain. But uh, that's that's the biggest news here. Corey Anderson, they, they mutually agreed upon it because he had more contracts or more fights on his contract with the UFC and, uh, you know, just gets released. He signs immediately with uh, Bellator, which is kind of interesting. Um, just because that certainly means, I mean, it's kind of like the tampering period in the NFL where it's kind of weird where even with the, 
legal tampering window in the NFL. It's kind of weird when uh, a, a team and a player agree to a contract three minutes into the period. It's almost it's almost like you've been talking about this before it was allowed. So Corey Anderson getting signed with Bellator minutes after he gets released by the UFC. That's a little weird. That was quite a quick phone call. It's almost like you had discussed this prior, which I don't know if that's allowed. I, I would assume that's not allowed because you're under contract, but whatever. I, I'm not a fucking snitch here. I'm not, I'm not 6'9". So that's interesting. I mean, this is a guy who was 10-5 and five in the UFC, 13-5 and five overall, a guy who came in very, very green in his UFC career and certainly suffered setbacks. But honestly, in my mind, kind of had what it took to be a champion. Now, having what it takes to be a champion and then, you know, actualizing that are two very, very different things. But he had the skills. He had the great wrestling. His striking was much improved. Obviously, knocked out Johnny Walker. Uh, He was only 30. Still is only 30. So I I thought he could have been a a player. Obviously, he's had some high-level setbacks, you know, right when he's about to break through. I mean, I think if he would have beat Jan Blachowicz, yeah, he probably would have got the next title shot. I mean, you know, Chaco Santos still has an argument. Reyes certainly has an argument. Um, But he would have been in a really nice spot and, you know, loses in February in Rio Rancho and now going over to Bellator. And I I really like this for Corey Anderson. He's just never really seen eye-to-eye with the UFC. Um, I wouldn't say the UFC has treated him unfairly, but I think he'll be happy over in Bellator. And there's some good matchups over in Bellator. Obviously, you know, he's on a collision course. I assume he'll have to get a win under his belt. But, you know, him being, I think he was ranked number five in North Star Sports rankings, probably number five in UFC's rankings as well. With him being a top five guy in the world, he's on a collision course with Ryan Bader. And that would be interesting. I don't know who to fa- I don't know who to favor because it's been so long since we've seen Bader in the litmus test known as the UFC. So I don't know how good Bellator's light heavyweights are. It's tough to ga- it's tough to gauge it when there's not a lot of crossover with uh, the UFC because that's kind of the ultimate proving grounds. But uh, Ryan Bader, what was it? He has a fight scheduled. I think it's against Vadim Nemkov. Uh, coming up next. Yeah, Vadim Yemkov. Um, that might have been postponed, actually. But I, I, I could have swore I saw in the news that he uh, had somebody lined up for his next title defense. But if Corey Anderson comes in, gets a win over anybody, really, just throw anybody at him, probably fights for that belt. And I, to be honest, I kind of would favor Corey Anderson. I think he's a pretty high-level fighter, higher, uh, probably one of the highest-level fighters Bellator has. Um, so, so that would be interesting. Now, I don't know who you match him up against. Uh, they have these guys listed as middleweights, but I don't know if they'd be willing to go up to 205 and maybe you do a title eliminator. But somebody like a Musasi, I don't think he's currently, or is he? Is he currently the champ? Did he? I don't follow Bellator too closely. Okay, apparently he he lost that belt. Um, but like a, a Machida, or maybe you have him fight a Musasi and you know, headline a, a fight card or whatever the fuck they call them over there. Um, I, I think that would be very interesting. I think it's not the deepest division, obviously, I've ever seen. But you can move middleweights up to 205 to take on Corey Anderson. Uh, you know, you could cherry-pick matchups. There's there's three or four guys that I think would be really high-level, interesting matchups for Anderson. Or, you know, maybe 
because the heavyweight division in Bellator is not super deep. And, you know, we, we've seen Bader do it, come from 205 to heavyweight. Maybe Corey Anderson fights at heavyweight, and maybe he just fights at 230 or 235 or something, you know, and, and there's a lot of interesting matchups there, you know. Maybe maybe for his first fight, we throw him in with Vanderlei to build up his name. You know, Rampage is still around. Um, you know what I mean? So th- th- there's a lot of interesting matchups for Corey Anderson. I think he's going to be much happier over in Bellator because I think Bellator is going to treat him better just because he kind of is their best chance at a star or one of their better chances at a star just because Bellator doesn't really develop talent greatly. A lot of their better fighters are just UFC rejects or fighters who willingly chose to leave the UFC, but they, they typically didn't le- choose to leave the UFC when they were on top. You know what I mean? But Chita didn't choose to leave the UFC when he was champ, you know? So uh, I think that's a, a solid infusion of talent there for uh, Bellator. Um, a couple of other uh, notable moves here. Uh, I saw this morning that they released Max Roshkoff, Roshkoff. Uh, who is the guy who quit in his fight versus Austin Hubbard? Um, which I think is probably the right move, just because he was. I think he's five and one or six and one. I think he was just too green in the UFC. I don't think. I think that's a move where it's it's not like a fuck you, get out of here, we hate you. I think it's a you you need to get more fights under your belt, more t- development. But we'd love to have you back in a couple of more fights. But like I, like I always say, you can't really develop in the UFC. You either are ready for the UFC or you're not. It's Look at how the UFC tried to grow Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt. They identified two really, really talented fighters, but it's so hard to grow them in the UFC. You have to be at a certain level already when you get to the UFC. There's no easy fights in the UFC for the most part, um, unless you're Greg Hardy. Then they'll just feed you cans. But, uh, you know, I think that's the right move. Listen, go to the go to the LFA, go to even Bellator. Hopefully not Bellator because that's kind of a rival, although not really competitive. But you know, go go to a PFL, go to a LFA, and and get two or three fights, get more fight time, and then we'd love to see you back when you're because he's still very young. I, I think he'll be back in the UFC at some point in in you know 2022 or 2023. Um, Ray Borg was also released. That's interesting, notable because he was the uh, title challenger to Demetrius Johnson's belt. I want to say at 216 where he got hit with the flying uh, arm bar. Very talented fighter, just couldn't quite get it all together. If there was a 130 weight class, that'd be the perfect weight class for, for Ray Borg. Just a, has trouble making 125, is kind of small for 135. And he's 7-5 he's in the promotion, which isn't super bad, but you know we just know this is a very talented guy. Obviously, pretty unfortunate. I, I hope he signs with Bellator or somebody like that who pays him a lot of money because obviously he's got the very, very tough family issues, which is why it sucks to see him released by the UFC. But hey, if he can get more money elsewhere, that's that's awesome. I hope everything... I, I, I don't have any bad thoughts towards Ray Borg. You know, he's he's young enough. I, I still think he'll he'll figure it out. You know what I mean? He's got he's to gotta either get his nutrition under control or bulk up for 135, but he's only 27. You know what I mean? Which, so he's entering his pl- his prime at flyweight because obviously, like I always say, flyweights you got to shift up their prime three or four years because there's no 39 year old flyweights like there are 39 year old middleweights. You know, 
Uh, flyweights tend to get their careers over pretty quickly because once you lose your speed, you're fucked. Because you know, the best speed resides in the flyweight division because they're you know they're not as affected by gravity. You know, they're small guys. You know, a lot of speed. So he's a tough fighter. It's 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 just tough. It's just tough. You know, had the lost Casey Kenny, lost to Ricky Simone. You look on his tapology page. This guy has like. 10 fight cancellations in the last like three years so you know un- unfortunate for a guy like that but I really do hope he he figures it out because he's, he's very talented and you know a lot of other reasons why you should be rooting for uh this guy uh we also had yesterday although I did or excuse me uh August 10th so two days ago but I didn't I did not see this news reported until today uh Tai Tuivasa was released by the UFC nine and three overall three and three uh, in the UFC, and, and and you know this was a guy they put him in the EA UFC three game. You know he was a fan favorite. Favorite at one point he was nine and zero. So comes into the UFC, knocks out Rashad Coulter in a bad way, knocks out Cyril Asker, and then uh, defeats Andre Arlovsky on the main card of UFC two twenty five in June of twenty eighteen. That was the Chicago card, I believe. That was the debut. Actually, no, that was the second fight with CM Punk. So that was CM Punk. Actually, let me pull up that main card because that main card is fucking hilarious. Um, so it was headlined by Whitaker and Romero. The co-main event was Covington and Dos Anjos for the interim welterweight uh, strap. The featured bout was Holly Holm and uh, Megan Anderson. Then we had Tied to Avasa and Andre Arlovsky and Mike Jackson and CM Punk. And because Mike Jackson and CM Punk were on the main card, that meant that Curtis Blades and Alistair Overeem were on the fucking prelims. They had them on the prelims instead of Mike Jackson and CM Punk because they wanted that that pay-per-view dollar from, you know, the, the biggest joke of a fighter of all time in, in Phil Brooks. I'm not going to call you CM Punk, you fucking nerd. Phil Brooks. Um, but Taito Ivasa, three-fight losing streak, a couple, a couple of very solid losses really three tough losses so he had the knockout loss to junior dos santos in his home country of australia that was the headliner of a fight night in december of 2018 comes back six months later loses a a decision to blagoy ivanov um which might have been his second fight in the ufc third fight okay so he was relatively established at that point in the ufc blagoy ivanov i'm speaking of and then he had a submission uh, by an arm triangle choke uh, at the UFC 243 card, the, the one headlined in Australia by Whitaker and Izzy, and he lost to Sergey Spivak. So that's kind of tough. I mean, you go any fighter goes 0-3 in their last three fights, shit, man, you're, you're playing with fire. You, you're really playing with getting cut. I don't really agree with him him getting cut. I still think there's interesting fights you could make. I still think he could turn it around. And Sergey Spivak being his last loss, I don't know. I've kind of been impressed with Sergey Spivak. I don't I'm not trying to make make it seem like Sergey Spivak's a fucking future champion here, but you know, I don't know. He, he's he's a tough tricky fight tricky fighter. He's got a good ground game. So, um I don't think Spivak is, "Oh, wow, you lost to that bum Spivak. We're going to cut you." No. You lost to that young 25-year-old, you know, still developing, uh, you know, tough matchup in Sergey Spivak. So I, th- I think rather highly of Sergey. So um, I don't know if I would have released him. Maybe there was some stuff behind the scenes, 
You know, it has been almost a year since he's fought, but uh, you know, he's he's a really marketable guy. He's got uh, a pretty big fan base for a guy who's not ranked. Um, he he was ranked at one point, I think maybe even as highly as number ten, but uh, unfortunate that uh, Shui Vasa got cut by the UFC. Hopefully he comes back. He's only 27. I mean, shit, the prime for heavyweights is like 36. You know, we have like 41-year-old heavyweights here in the UFC, so still incredibly possible that Tui Vasa gets a second chance in the UFC. I don't know where he goes from here. Maybe the obvious cliche answer is maybe he goes to Bellator, but I I have no idea where he goes, but he just needs to get some wins. And, you know, with two wins outside of the UFC, I mean, I could easily see him getting hired backed by the UFC. The UFC will hire any heavyweight with a pulse. You know what I mean? So uh, I I think he still has time to kind of figure it out here. Uh, So we'll kind of wrap that up. Uh, Very quickly, I wanted to get my thoughts on uh, the UFC 4 video game. So like I mentioned, I had EA Access. I played the 10 hours. And... Just to kind of keep keep it simple, I, I like it, but it's it's interesting. So um, there's certainly some different things, uh, most notably the the real player motion uh, clinch controls. Um, they're frustrating because I haven't quite figured them out, but I don't want to talk bad about them because I, I like it. I like it because it's more realistic. Just because I haven't figured it out yet, I try not to shit on it because there's still a learning curve. So just because I haven't learned it doesn't mean I'm going to be like, oh, fuck this, I can't figure it out And with the 10 hours of me playing it. I hate this game. No, you know what I mean? Like, I try to put myself in the shoes of me when I first played UFC 3 and being like, well, it took me a while to figure out some of the controls, you know what I mean? So maybe it's just a learning curve for me. So just because it's tough, just because I haven't figured it out doesn't mean I won't figure it out. So I'm not going to talk negatively about it just because I can't, it doesn't suit my style immediately. So I've been trying to keep an open mind with it. I, I really like the clinch. Again, it's a, it's a little tough to control. Uh, I'm still kind of figuring out, you know, parts of it, but I, I do like it. Um, it's a little overpowered when you spam it. Um, so maybe that could be tuned up a little bit. Um, I will say a lot of people freaked out about the player models. The player models are not as bad as the screen screenshots we saw, you know, two weeks ago. Um, you know, where, where you'd see the, the, you'd see the screenshots and you'd go, holy shit, that does not look like Conor McGregor at all. In the game when you're playing as Conor McGregor, it, I'm not going to say it's perfect. Obviously there's clearly things I could fix, but it's not as bad as you think. The, mo- the models are actually better than we thought. So don't, don't freak out about the models. Um, that being said, with the models, and EA has addressed this. They said they're going to fix it for the day one patch. Uh, they could tune up the muscles. So, like, a Yoel Romero just looks like, his his body looks like a generic creative fighter body. It doesn't look like Yoel Romero, where it's, whoa, this guy is unbelievably jacked. He looks like a Ninja Turtle. In the video game, he just looks like, oh, okay, that's a guy who works out. So when it comes to the the fine-tuning, the or actually like majorly tuning, not even just fine-tuning because they got it completely wrong with certain fighters, but when it comes to tuning the muscles on like a Paul Felder or a, a Wonder Boy or um, uh, a UL Romero, they, they really need to fix that. So I will say the, the bodies need to be fixed. The, the faces for the most part, the head models for the most part are a lot better than you think. Still not perfect. 
Um, you know, but they said they were going to uh, update, like, uh, Cerrone's model in, in there looks like the same one from UFC 1. So they said that they're going to add the beard uh, for him. They're going to add the beard for Paul Felder, which is good. Um, I really hope that this is something we, we saw early on in UFC, UFC 3, but we didn't see... We didn't really see this for like the last year, year and a half maybe of UFC 3. I would love to see them do frequent roster updates. Not just attributes, but adding new fighters. There were probably like four or five or four or five maybe roster updates for the UFC. You know, where they'd add Taitu Ivasa. They'd add... Oh shit, who would they add? I, I, I'm blanking. Oh, like an Israel Adesanya. You know what I mean? Where they add, they'd add these guys. It it doesn't. I'm not trying to be ignorant. I understand this is a, probably a very tough job to do this, but it, it doesn't seem that hard to add new fighters into the game. No, I I think people just want new fighters in the game. So if the model of them is not exactly exactly perfect, don't sweat it. I just want new fighters in the game. So um. Like, if Vincente Luque is not in the game, but he's ranked number 13 in the welterweight division. So, if in the next six months, say Luque goes out and knocks out Nate Diaz, and then say he takes on Colby Covington and knocks him out, you know what I mean? And Or say, I'm just spitballing shit here, but he, he, he goes on quite the run here. I want to see that guy added into the game. Like, every every month, you should be adding at least one new player into the game. No, I understand you got to do full body scans and stuff like this, but do that when they when they fight, you know, when you bring fighters into the Apex, scan them. I, I think that's the the biggest thing. Now, I think there's over 220 fighters in this game, which sounds good, and I don't doubt that this is the biggest roster that they've ever had, but the one thing they don't tell you about having the 220 fighters is that many of the fighters are duplicates. So I think, I don't know for a fact they count this, but I just venture to guess they do count this because it doesn't seem like there's 220 fighters in the game. Uh, you you can, like, they count Tony Ferguson at lightweight as one fighter, and they count Tony Ferguson at welterweight as another fighter. So technically those are two fighters that you can play with. They're two different fighters because they're different weight classes, but they're the same fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like they'll they'll count Sam Alvey at middleweight and Sam Alvey at lightweight as two different fighters. So I think that's kind of how they fudge the numbers. It's not 220 unique different fighters. It's probably 180 fighters with maybe 40 of them being duplicates for different weight classes. Um, the roster also kind of stinks because they throw in a lot of fighters who you know they're just throwing in because they have the model for them from UFC 2 or UFC 3. So like a Sam Alvey. Why the fuck is Sam Alvey in the game? He's only in the game because you have his model from UFC 3 and you just threw that into this game. You know what I mean? There's no reason why a Vincente Luque shouldn't be in the game. Uh, you know what I mean? So it feels like they didn't add a ton of new fighters to the game. Um, obviously all the major ones they did, like, you know, Davison's in the game, a Cannoneer, a Hermanson, a Dom Reyes, a Anthony Smith, um, you know, guys like this, who obviously are in the top five of their divisions who weren't, who were not in the top five and relevant when UFC three came out in 2018, all those guys are in the game. You know, obviously a Piotr Jan, 
um, you know, guys like this. Volkanovski obviously wasn't in UFC 3. Um, but I would love to see updated rosters. Again, the, the player models don't have to be perfect. I'm not asking for an identical, you know, replication of the player uh, or of the fighter. But, you know, just add new fighters. I mean, that keep it fresh. Um, now, the striking... It feels a little more clunky than it did in UFC 3. So UFC 3, you could, you know, you could bounce back and forth on your lead leg and your back leg. You could really go in and out and in and out and in and out, in and, out and everything felt fluid. But in UFC 4, you can't bounce in and out as quickly as, as you could in UFC 3. So it feels a little slower, a little stiffer, and a little more mechanical. When you're throwing punches, you really feel like you're throwing punches because it really kind of feels mechanical and and i i can't say i like that um they they also simplified going to the ground so they have um instead of like and i think you can switch this because there's legacy controls which would be the how it was in ufc 3 and then there's a simplified controls in ufc 4 i did not play on the legacy controls because i try to embrace the new game so i tried to play with what they give you on the default settings. Um, but it's no longer where, um, okay, I'm on the ground. Would you like to go left with your stick to go to, to full mount? Or would you like to go up on your stick to go to, or, or, um, up to go full mount, you know, left to go to full guard, things like this. It's either, um, get up submission or ground and pound. And then it just automatically moves you into whatever position best fits what option you selected. I don't really like that. But again, it's not a big deal because I could switch to legacy controls, which I think I will when I go back to playing it when the game drops because I ran out of my 10 hours. Um, I don't I don't like it. Maybe, it. maybe it's good for some people, but I just like the option to specifically go to a, a position. You know what I mean? If I... It, it's best for ground and pound because ground and pound... Okay, fair enough. Just put me in whatever position... Uh, would be best for me doing ground and pound. But if I want to choke somebody out, I just don't, I don't want the submit button. I want to like specifically get you with the choke. So I want to, I want to go to full mount and then to back mount because I want to go with a uh, rear naked choke. It doesn't give you that option. It just automatically chooses a submission for you based on whatever position it puts you in. Um, but I, I like the game. I, I played through the career, the career mode until I became champion. Uh, the career mode is a little less repetitive uh, there are some new features like, well, I think you could, I think you could call out people on the old one, but I like it cause it's not as segmented. So, you know, back in UFC three, it was like, you have these four fights until you fight your rival and you'll always fight your rival on the fifth fight of this segment. And then, uh, you know what I mean? That just felt kind of clunky. I like how you could move from camp to camp. Um, but I, I, I like this one better. You can do a lot more with social media. Uh, you can knock out training partners and shit. You can invite I, every single training partner I ever train with. I just knock out because it's just fun. Um, every fighter I invite, so you can invite fighters to your gym to train new moves and, and things like that. Uh, every fighter I invite, I knock them out with a move that they're training me, uh, which is is interesting because that they say it's supposed to be able to help with matchups in the future. I didn't really find it that way. Um, you know, I knocked out like Tyron, I, I did welterweight and I knocked out Tyron Woodley and fucking nothing happened. Um, the kind of shitty part about it from what I saw, hopefully they tune this is 
much like UFC 3, although UFC 3 was more segmented, so every single time if you were 15 and 0 or 16 and 0, you'd get a you'd get a shot at the title. No matter how bad you murdered your opponent, if you were 9 and 0 in UFC 3, you were still always 6 fights away from getting the championship title opportunity. With this one, they say it's supposed to be every time it's unique. I found it's not ac- it's not very accurate. You always fight on Tony Ferguson mode to to steal a comment from uh, the 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 UFC four Reddit or whatever. Um, you know, it, it feels it feels like you're on Tony Ferguson mode because you'll knock out like you'll be like fifteen and zero all with uh, first round first minute knockouts and you're still ranked like number thirteen. You know what I mean? So it doesn't feel realistic. Like if you if you had 14 straight first round knockouts in the UFC, I mean Jesus Christ, you'd you you'd be on title defense number six at that point. So um, from that standpoint, there's still a lot to be desired um, from it. I like the storytelling a little bit. Seems like it could get a little repetitive um, with Coach Davis or whatever the fuck they call it. But um, and, and I, I didn't play any online matchups yet, so that's that's still something I got to figure out. Um, I don't like how you can't make your creative fighters specifically. You, you can only choose a subset. So every single creative fighter, I think, is ranked 92, um, which is kind of shitty. I want to I be able to make my creative fighter 100 overall. I think they did that because they don't want you using 100 overalls in online. That's fine. But let me choose a creative fighter who's 100 overall offline. You know what I mean? Because maybe I want to mess around with, uh, you know, different... I mean, you couldn't even make a creative fighter who was not 92, so you couldn't even create a creative fighter who was, you know, an 84 overall. So that's kind of shitty. I really hope they fix that. Otherwise, that's that's pretty fucking stupid. Um, but overall, I mean, there's there, there's at this point, I'd say it's it's an improvement over UFC three. Obviously, there's some shitty stuff that I think I hope they fix, but I don't see them fixing specific gameplay stuff like this. Like, there's no elbows or hammer fists in ground and pound it's it's just they improved ground and pound because you can shift and you can target uh the the body a little better with hooks and stuff like that but every punch you throw is either a straight or a hook uh, on the ground and if you're getting grounded pounded you could shift your character so that you don't get hit but not having elbows is kind of stupid because that's a pretty common thing for ground and pound but overall i'd say it's an improvement i there's still a lot to work on but I would give it I would give it 8 out of 10 North Stars. 8 out of 10 North Stars. I think it's a perfectly fine game. Uh, you know, I, I don't doubt that they spent a lot of time on the clinch trying to make that, you know, into a thing. I understand how that could be super hard to try to figure, figure out that. Um, but I, I, overall, I'm a fan. I'll certainly play it when it comes out. But, um, you know, there's stuff to improve. Uh, so with that, we'll wrap up the show here. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN, North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Uh, you can check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.